from KQED. You're listening to Queued Up Storytelling with Heart. I'm John Sepulveda. Here's Chapter 4 of American Suburb. Every August, many Muslim families from around the Bay Area go to Great America Amusement Park for this annual celebration. And it's called Muslim Unity Day. And the event is just a time to celebrate being Muslim. Aisha Rahman was at this event with her family back in 2007. And she remembers thinking how cool it was to see so many different types of Muslims from around the Bay Area. So it kind of changed Great America for me in a little bit, but it changed it in a really beautiful kind of way where you see that like, oh, this is Great America, you know? You see all these different kinds of people and that is Great America for me. Aisha says when the family got to the park, the kids would try to ditch the parents and go off with friends. Aisha was 19, but she was the oldest sibling of five brothers and sisters, and she had younger cousins. So she was often the big sister to everyone. I remember I always liked Top Gun. That was like my favorite. I just, I kept going into the line for that. Top Gun is a roller coaster that twists around and twirls upside down. Her family set up for the day right next to the ride. They ate together, talked, and went on more rides. Then at the end of the day, her family drove back home to Antioch, a Bay Area suburb about an hour north of Great America, going from a world filled with Muslims to one with very few. It was late when the family got back home, so they went straight to bed. On the weekend, Aisha and her brothers and sisters loved to sleep in. Her dad didn't. Actually, Aisha says her dad loved to play his music so loudly in the morning on the weekends that he'd wake everyone up. No door was thick enough to keep the music out. And it was always like these 80s songs and like old Indian songs, and he just played them really loudly. But on this morning, in August of 2007, there wasn't any music playing. It was quiet. Instead, Aisha's dad had been on the phone all morning with the fire department. Someone broke into their mosque through the backside sometime in the early morning. They'd kicked in a door, went inside, and started four fires throughout the mosque. Books were burned. Chairs were burned. There was a lot of smoke damage. The place was destroyed. I went into like the shock it felt like I was reacting as if they told me somebody a person burned like somebody put a person on fire and somebody that we knew the mosque was where she met her friends and where she spent weekends and it was a place her dad helped create from scratch to try and make Antioch home he put so much work and effort into it, into that place. He put so many hours of just where he could have just been with us as a family. He put all those hours there. Her dad, Abdul, was trying to make sense of the fire and what was happening. And his mind was all over the place, trying to search for answers to why this happened. I still was thinking, you know, is that really possible? Did I take the call okay? Am I still dreaming? Abdul even thought about the day before the celebration of Muslim families at Great America, that maybe this was the world's way of telling him, don't be too proud. I felt like, you know, maybe maybe we were trying to show uh, ourselves as a community, uh, as boasting ourselves, that, hey, we are here, and this is what we do, and, uh, you know, uh, and the park is is ours for the day. Sure enough, the next, the very next day, right? So, so you know, I had some kind of confirmation within my own own heart that you know, wow, um, you know, is there is there really a correlation here? In a way, Abdul was blaming himself. 
for trying to belong to a city for the same reasons as everyone else, safer streets, good schools, a home. And that question of belonging is something the Muslim community in Antioch would have to answer. Do they rebuild the mosque in Antioch or do they leave? I'm Devin Kadiyama. Chapter four, make great America again. This is home to me. Being out here, just like, wow, it's a lot of black people. It's like being in Oakland. You can't always blame things on people from outside. Oh, I know what the word they use. Ghetto, a rich ghetto. This then is not the end of the Antioch story, just the beginning of a new chapter. When you think of fear, the city of Antioch does not come to mind. Instead, when you think of Antioch, you might think of the hills, the delta, fishing along the shore, watching the boats. You might feel the heat or see the shopping centers with big box stores, a quiet place for five kids to grow up. That's why Abdul moved there with his family, and they weren't alone. By the time they moved to Antioch in the late 90s, there had been a wave of people moving to the eastern Bay Area suburb. The population tripled in just three decades to 90,000. But there weren't many Muslims. Abdul guesses maybe 75 families were living in the city. Abdul's older uncle, who's well-connected in the Bay Area's Muslim community, hooked him up with about a dozen of them. There were people already meeting in the, in the garages and stuff, and they would, each time they would meet, they just go out and pitch in some money. So when I moved in, moved here, they had close to 30000 already collected. $30,000. It's money that would allow them to move out of garages and to get their own space. A real mosque. When I came here, I said, you know, what are we waiting for? I think this is enough. Let's go ahead and do it. And they did this. They bought a mosque. Masjid. This, by the way, is the Arabic word for mosque Aisha's teaching me. M-A-S-J-I-D. Masjid. <laughs> the mosque they created wasn't like the elaborate mosque you may picture in your head, with the large bulb and tall spires on either side. It looked like this unremarkable single-story dentist office. That's because it was. And after they bought the building and the dentist moved out, they moved in. And the place was theirs. Attendance in the first two years had grown substantially to several dozen families. Then came this wave of fear. September 2001. It's 8.52 here in New York. Apparently a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. I didn't see anything. Are there any people hurt, you know? Aisha remembers watching the news on a small TV in her parents' room that morning. She remembers gauging how serious these events were by looking at her parents. And so when they got up to go to work, she put on her headscarf, which she wore her whole life, and she went to school. That's when things started getting really weird for me. I would get, uh, you know, pulls on the back of my scarf from, you know, kids walking behind me. I would get, um, you know, go back to your country or you know, why, why are you here, or is your dad a terrorist? Aisha says her dad taught her about patience and tolerance ever since she was born. And she chalked up a lot of the intimidation and teasing she was experiencing to ignorance. But it affected other Muslims in Antioch a lot worse. After 9-11, attendance at the mosque dropped. Abdul says people were really afraid. And the response was to keep your head down and mind your own business. Abdul trimmed his beard, which was a big part of his identity as a Muslim man. For a lot of Muslim women, it's the headscarf. And when Aisha's mom made her take it off, it was a really emotional thing for her to do. In Islam, you are sort of always personally connected to God himself. Um, 
and I just felt like the hijab was sort of my reminder of that connection. It's like a physical reminder that's there. It's on the outside, not just on the inside. The mosque also tried blending into the fabric of Antioch. Exist, but don't draw a lot of attention. I think what happened was that we were not as open as we should have been. Okay. You weren't as open so as you yeah, well, you know, I mean, and that's that's how the, uh, most of these faith places are now, right? I mean, we we tend to to think that this is this is very exclusive, right? And instead of opening, you know, we we tend to go and closing because that's what makes us feel better. Over the next several years, Abdul says life slowly returned to normal. More families were coming to the mosque, but the mosque was still exclusive. It was still operating in this silo based on fear. Pellets were shot into the mosque. Rocks were thrown at the building. There were a few nasty messages left on voicemail. All of this was reported to police, but it was all tolerable enough to continue with business as usual. We knew that there was an element here that probably thinks like this, but they're not majority. All of that changed after August 12, 2007. Abdul says usually people who truly hate want to leave more of an impression. And he says the torching of their mosque was that impression. This was real. We felt that uh, we were not wanted. It was a very weird feeling. It was, uh, it was, it was being like homeless, you know? Um, and I didn't know, didn't know how things were going to go and pan out. You know, that, that first few days was, uh, was really confusion and commotion and lots of different feelings. While all of these emotions of confusion and fear, anger and hurt were being experienced within the Muslim community, there was a really basic question they had to answer. Do we take the arson as a sign and leave? And not everyone agreed. Even within my own family, you know, they, they said, you know, we should not do this because we're just going to go and bring on more tension. We shouldn't be here. You know, it's, it's a signal. Uh, it's a sign. While some in the mosque felt like it was time to leave, others, like Abdul, saw the arson as a chance to face the city of Antioch, to face these suburbs, and to find out who their neighbors really were. We'll find out what happens when we return. While the mosque leaders were having conversations about whether to rebuild the Islamic Center in Antioch or to just leave, they were about to get some help. Someone else who knew what being an outsider felt like. Will McGarvey is the pastor of the Community Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh in the next city over. His office is cluttered with books and musical instruments. There are all these political bumper stickers all over his wall. One supports feminism, another one is the color of the rainbow and says celebrate diversity. McGarvey calls his a progressive church, which means they take the Bible seriously, but not literally. We're a platypus <laughs> with two denominations and multiracial, multicultural, as well as uh, a church for gays and straights. A church for gays and straights is pretty unique out here. McGarvey knows that having different perspectives in these eastern suburbs can sometimes feel lonely. And he knew that's how Abdul and the Muslim community must be feeling. We kind of think of the Bay Area as this whole region of very progressive people, but there are definitely pockets of more conservative folks. I think religious minorities are always the canary in the coal mine to tell us really where we are as a culture. 
So to McGarvey, the arson was this major step backwards, but he didn't know if enough people felt the same. McGarvey's been fighting social justice and equality issues through the church for a while. He knows it's hard to get people's attention in the suburbs. The cities are scattered, commute times are long, family's important. People don't know their neighbors. You know, a lot of these houses are built with the garage as the main feature. And they can pull into their garage and watch their surround sound home theater and not have to do much with their neighbors. And if you're driving two hours each way to work, you don't have a whole lot of energy to put in at the end of the day in your own community. McGarvey is a guy who's spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to break through these silos to get people talking. So the arson was actually this opportunity to test Antioch, to see how much people cared and whether he could break down some of the walls that separate people. When McGarvey first heard about the arson, he was in Antioch at a meeting about creating a new LGBT group. He stepped outside to start making calls to figure out what happened. I was so distracted. When I went back into the meeting, I just had to go. So I went and drove by the building, but nobody was there. It was just kind of wrapped up with fences to keep people out and just the, the charred remains of the building. People wanted answers they would never get, like who started the fire and why. They never found out. It was such a personal attack. There had to be some kind of public response. That's when Abdul and the mosque leaders finally decided that the old way of keeping their heads down and continuing with business as usual just didn't make sense anymore. You can see their point. What else did they have to lose? We wanted to go ahead and have this be heard. You know, we, we, we wanted uh, everybody to know what had happened. Things fell into place one after the other. There was a press conference. Then a couple of weeks later, McGarvey helped organize a march through Antioch to support the mosque. Hundreds of people showed up. There was this outpour of letters and messages, and money was coming in the mail too. This was a turning point for Abdul, who says the arson was bringing people together in a way he'd never experienced before. Maybe sometimes that's what it takes to, to get that out of people, because it's, it's not like it's not in us. It's, it, it's in us. You know, it just needs a little fuel. It, it needs, you know, something to go ahead and light it up. Abdul began working with Pastor McGarvey and other interfaith leaders to figure out how to use this momentum to fight misconceptions about Islam and Muslims that people might have in the eastern suburbs. And Abdul knew that it was going to be a really tough job to get people who have these long commutes, who work outside of Antioch, to show up. The idea was to go ahead and put out flyers, you know, with, with I would call them anchors, right, a hook. With the help of Pastor McGarvey, mosque leaders would attend events at churches in the region, challenging Islamophobia. These hooks were to get people's attention. Uh, you know, uh, meet your Muslim neighbor. Or, you know, uh, is, your, is your neighbor uh, a terrorist? And I, I suggested some of those because I, I, I told them, listen, you want these people to come out. You want them to come out and, 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 and answer to this. Not everybody else that already shows up anyways. Abdul says it was rare for somebody to show up to have their beliefs challenged or changed. And that they probably weren't reaching their target audience, like whoever torched the mosque. 
But something else was happening here. The partnership between Abdul and Will McGarvey and a few other faith leaders was creating a small group of people willing to help each other out in the eastern suburbs. Their faiths didn't always line up and they wouldn't always agree, but they needed each other if they wanted more people to pay attention. And they shared the same belief in humanity. When the mosque leaders decided to rebuild the Islamic Center right back where it was, Abdul says it was a statement, a way to say we are not going anywhere. People live everywhere, you know, and, and it's, it's up to us to find solutions and you can't just keep running, you know, and, and you're leaving it for somebody else to discover these things without a solution. The solution? It led Abdul to trim his beard. It led his daughter Aisha to stop wearing her headscarf. And it meant that some would live in fear in the city they call home. These are the things that some Muslims gave up in order to stay. Two Ramadans passed, 18 months. When the mosque reopened, it still looked like an old dentist office from the outside. Except now the Islamic center of the East Bay has iron gates and cameras around the perimeter. I'll show you the back area here. It also opens up to little, little parking spots here. If you noticed, uh, there are good 16 cameras now. And Abdul says that some, like the mosque president, are still worried about drawing too much attention. I wasn't so much, but our president was really, really paranoid. And to the point where he still doesn't have a sign in front of the place. It's Islamic Center. I mean, I've suggested we put the initials, you know, Islamic Center of East Bay, ICEB. He says, oh, no, 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 there's no need to go and put a sign in. Everybody knows where it's at. <laughs> it's a constant struggle. I mean, look, look at, because if you really were to compare, I mean, they're worse for us now than they were after 9-11, or for that matter, after the arson. They are worse for us today. So, no, it doesn't end. It is a struggle and we have to keep fighting the good fight. When Abdul says that things are worse now, he's talking about a rise in anti-Muslim groups and hate crimes against Muslims across the country. The increase coincided with President Donald Trump's rise to power. And when I ask Abdul about Trump, he surprises me. Abdul says while he didn't vote for Trump and he doesn't like a lot of the things that Trump stands for, Abdul is still willing to give Trump a shot. Listen. It is our problem, and we'll take care of it, okay? We'll, we'll go ahead and face it, and it is not the end of the world for us. Uh, we know the guy, he has a history, and we'll deal with it. Also, Abdul has help now. He's got Pastor Will McGarvey. He knows most of his neighbors aren't the ones who've attacked the mosque in the past, and he knows that he's got support. The Muslim pioneers in the eastern suburbs are being joined by growing numbers and growing mosques here. And if Abdul sticks around, he'll be able to talk about what it was like when just a few families were meeting out of garages. I catch up with Abdul at a vigil that Pastor McGarvey is hosting at his church in Pittsburgh. It was in response to last summer's high-profile shootings of two black men within days of each other, one in Louisiana and another in Minnesota. And then five police officers were shot and killed in Dallas. About 30 people gathered outside the church. Inside, a woman played piano to an empty hall. It's a small group making a gesture that would never reach far beyond the church doors. And even Abdul says a lot of people he knows would never go this far to help. There are people around me who tell me, you know, you're, 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 you're such a fool. I mean, 
what does that do? You know, I mean, why are you doing this? Are you crazy? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and these are people that are very close to me. <laughs> By doing what we do on our own, secluded, you know, only, you know, only, only puts us in a light where we can be targeted individually. So there's strength in numbers. numbers. Always, I mean, you know, it's, it's and it's you know, it, it works great for the Golden State Warriors, but it, but it's true overall, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, you know, it just gives us not only does it give us numbers, but you know. It just gives you such a nice way of, of diversifying your thinking, your methods. In a, in a way, does things. it also allow you to be yourselves? Does it allow I would you to say it, it allows you to be more than yourself. By showing up and taking part in a small vigil, it means Abdul's out front. He's not trying to blend in or stay hidden. And he can do that now, when he's standing with new friends. You're listening to Chapter 4 of American Suburb. I'm John Sepulveda, your host of Cued Up, Storytelling with Heart. In our next chapter, we are going to meet a woman named Iris Archuleta. Iris moved to Antioch because she fell in love with the homes and the feel of the place. And it wasn't until after she moved in that she realized just how tense things had become. Here I am, a business owner, you know, law degree, the whole bit. I'm walking around, I'm being friendly, and I hear the clerk say, that's why we're moving, those niggers. I'm moving in here, and that's why we're moving. What one woman's stubborn perseverance can teach us about how to love our neighbors. That's on Chapter 5 of American Suburb. And you can subscribe to Cued Up wherever you get your KQED podcasts.